he's sitting there convinced that he likes to play that ball and he could not have been more wrong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 96 of No Putts Given. I'm Miranda, and I've got Harry, Tony, and Chris here with me today. Chris, you've barely been back in Colorado since we saw you last year in Virginia, right? Yep, it's been, feels like about 20 minutes ago I was in Virginia, but... Backstory, Chris was in Virginia to be here with us while we did um, a Titleist ball fitting event where they came to Independence Golf Club fit. How many did it end up being? 12 or 14 of our testers? Uh, We got 14. Fitting 14 testers and giving us an inside look on what goes into an in-person, on-course ball fitting. Harry and Chris, you both got fit as well. What did you think of the overall experience? So I've never had a ball fitting. I know that's kind of criminal but i've never had a ball fitting in person i've done it online i've done all that kind of stuff but when it comes to a ball fitting uh in person uh it was a completely different experience kind of an eye-opening because you got to see data firsthand from just hitting shot to shot i saw a huge difference in what i was seeing on the course that deceived me with one ball and then when I played another ball, which is I already play, correlated to what I see on the course. Right you can away. tell us which ones. That might give us a little clarity. Every, they are all don't say the names. I'm not going to say anything. Don't then you can figure it out for yourself. So basically, what I was seeing on the course is the Pro V, I was sucking it back too much uh, in my irons. So when I hit the green, it was coming back two or three feet more. Um, and I've sometimes even more, depending on the, how soft the green was. And I couldn't, I, I didn't want to play longer and then hopefully it comes back and then it just stops. Just, it, it's just kind of like a guessing game. But when I had the left dot in play, I was seeing it pitch my number, hop one foot and then come back to where the pitch mark was. So it's within, it's basically where the pitch mark is. It's, it's what I want the ball to do and not come back about five, six yards. Chris, what about you? How is your fitting? Yeah, I mean, kind of like Harry, too. I haven't done a ball fitting like that in person or one that's, you know, really that extensive. And, and you know, part of the reason is it doesn't really exist unless you're a tour player, right? Unless you had an opportunity to test equipment over a period of months or, um, you know, obviously that manufacturer was uh, – really kind of keyed into your success they you know you didn't really have have those opportunities I remember doing a a ball fitting and I'm, I'm using that term really loosely now because it was based on two attributes of golfers that you know we kind of now know really don't matter it was a ball fitting based on swing speed and like ability handicap so going into this one you know I really wanted to try and you know, enter it with entirely open eyes and say, you know, I don't care what they put me into. Mm-hmm. I have zero preference. Um, a little bit easier to do with a ball because there maybe aren't, you know, certain visual distinctions like we have with clubs or, you know, model preferences where it's like, ooh, I want to be the guy that says they play an X-Flex shaft or this or that. Like, it's a ball. And so I just wanted to see what those differences were. And, and, and one of the big, you know, big deals for me was when you hit, a ball, you know, right next to another one, you're hitting seven irons over and over and over. Yeah. You know, you're not necessarily going to strike it exactly the same way every single time, 
Um, but you are going to see real differences, you know, when you put them side by side. And, and you know, I kind of liken it to, you know, you go to Best Buy or whatever, and Tony's looking for his new TV, right? His new house, 85-inch TV. and But you really don't see any of those subtle differences until, you know, you stack it up next to 15 other models. Um, and then you can really kind of evaluate, you know, and nitpick a little bit. And that's really what we were doing in this type of ball fitting, really trying to get into, you know, from that category of ball, like, hey, it's either one of these two or three or one of these two or three, and then really start to go down that, you know, that kind of chain or kind of down that ladder and say, okay, if it's these two, I want to compare these two balls on these couple, three, four different shots and let's see what differences exist in those specific scenarios and, and see if those differences actually matter to me or not. So what was the process? You started with a track man just on the range, right? Yeah. So step one was, you know, kind of getting and, and I really like to tell you this kind of as you're hitting balls, getting loosers, you know, asking you questions about your game, maybe balls you've played before. What do you like? What don't you like? What do you know? And, and I think they're probably accustomed to, you know, one of two things. One golfers are probably pretty bad at self-assessment, right? Like mm-hmm. we all think we hit it further than we do. Um, you know, we oh yeah, I hit it pretty lower and they're probably going, okay, you know, compared to what, but just trying to get a handle on what you're kind of looking for. And if you have any specific objectives and yep. So you get loose and we started like with 50, 60 yard, um, kind of pitch shots, kind of half wedges. And, you know, what was really interesting to me in that one, yeah, so back up a second, 50, 60-yard pitch, kind of pitch shots, you know, chip wedges. Then we went to full iron shots, and then we went to full, you know, driver, three wood, two iron type of shots. So that was kind of the process on the on the range that we worked through. And from the range, you then went to... Correct. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Took it from the range, and you know, and they're throwing different balls, and they're saying, "Hey, all right, here, hit this one, hit that one," and you'd hit, you know, like I'd hit three Pro Vs in a row or whatever, and they'd say, "Okay, now I'm going to throw you three of these, same shot, try to hit the same shot, let's see what happens." Um, So kind of working through a different mix. They're checking the data all the time, and yes, it was data focused, but it wasn't data decided. You know, where it's like, oh. This one said this, therefore it's that. It's like, okay, am I seeing any significant differences between the data that would make me start to lean one way or the other? Can we use those numbers to help eliminate a bad choice as opposed to make a good choice? So it's like, it was really clear right away after hitting a bunch of seven irons that two of the four balls that we had there were not going to work for me because I could not get the spin down under like 7,500 on a seven iron. Did you have a similar experience, Harry, that you were more eliminating balls that didn't work and rather than trying to find ones that did? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, we basically went to, um, at least on the range, we, we went from a preview one and left off and I was hitting them and everything was pretty similar. I was pretty much in the same window regarding spin, launch and descent angle. And then it came to the driver and where I saw a huge difference was my miss hits. So my miss hits were with like a slightly lower heel shot with a pro V one, my spun, uh, my spin jumped up into the three thousands. So then obviously it's, it's climbing up a little bit. It's going to lose distance. It's not as good when you're hitting into wind. 
And then I hit relatively the same shot with a left dot and it only and it stayed in the twos, but it was still in the window of an optimal shot. So I didn't lose that much. My spin rate was pretty similar. That was like a where I started to lean towards a left dot. But where I don't I don't mind hitting a shot like that once in a while in the three thousands. I don't mind that if it's going to perform around the 15 yards around the green. And that was where I, my preference was. If I can somehow score better with one of these balls, I don't care about the distance if I lose two or three yards. That is irrelevant to me. Chris, what did you end up fitting into? Yeah, so in, in my process, funny, I got to the same result. And this is, this is one of my key takeaways is a lot of people can get to the same answer you know, it might be a Pro V1, it might be a Pro V1X, it might be a TP5 or, you know, whatever ball you end up playing. If you're fit, I just th- thought I'd throw that in there. I, I, don't <laughs> I was going to say, did, did Titleist fit, fit any of our guys into a TP5? You know, no, no, although, although Harry did throw a Mizuno ball in, in there at mm-hmm. me at one point and really confused me. But <laughs> no, it, the idea that you can get to the same answer for very different reasons or have different decision points. So not everybody that optimally fits into a Pro V1 fits into it for the exact yeah. same reasons or criteria. So Well, a great a great example of that is our first four testers in the, on the first day had all different characteristics of swings. We had low spin, low launch, we had a high spin, low launch kind of thing. Like there was so many different characteristics within these four guys and they all fitted into the same ball, which was, you know, impressive because I was thinking, all right, at least two of them would have been a completely different ball mm-hmm. without yes. without fitting them. Yeah, so where I ended up, I ended up in Pro V1 left dot um, as both well. Both of you which are is, left dot. Both yeah. Harry and I are left dot, but different players, you know, and, and, and some different things that we wanted to see. What, what I saw was on the 50, 60-yard pitch shots, there wasn't a, a real meaningful difference until I went to AVX. I just wanted to, to try and see. And <laughs> turns out, not a great fit for me. I don't know. It was, it was weird. But I wanted to see just kind of what it was. And off the driver, the biggest difference wasn't ball speed. It was spin. Um, mm-hmm. Both the left dash and left dot, I was able to get better spin numbers with, mm-hmm. which were lower. So I wanted to live more in that you know, 2200 to 2400 range, which is where those both allow, allowed me to live. And actually, so uh, the left dash definitely flew a little bit higher. And depending on times, I could possibly play that ball from the driver perspective. But what left dot did, it kept it in kind of, it was more, it was a more powerful trajectory window. Um, that was really, really kind of cool off, off the driver. So that was a decision point. It wasn't based on ball speed. It was really based mm-hmm. on, you know, like Tony mentioned in our ball test stuff, on that total shot trajectory. Not launch, because they all basically launched the exact same. And mine did too. It's like, oh, they all took off at, you know, 13.8, 13.7. There, there's no such thing as a high launch ball off a driver or low launch for that matter. They just take off, <laughs> you know. And so that part was really crazy to see that that is totally true. The what the left dot did two things. One, kept my seven iron spin down a little bit. I have a habit of kind of being a little bit of a flipper at the bottom. And, and when you flip and you add, sometimes when you add loft, you will add spin as well. I'm probably one of the better players in the world at that, at flipping at the bottom and <laughs> adding that. You know, it's like, ah. Um, and then around the green, 
It was super different. Like I was able to hit these little nip spinners where it went like one, two, stopped. And from like 30, 40 yards. Yeah, um, like Chris, when 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 you were at my fitting on the course, we were doing the 60-yard shot, right? And mm-hmm. I would hit the Pro V and you could see it wanted to check. And then it just didn't quite check. Didn't. And then we did the same kind of thing with a with a left dot and it just reacted. And that's one of those ones again where unless you're doing it side by side. Yeah. And to anybody assessing, and we'll get to this later in articles and stuff too, like trying to help people fit balls or decide on balls or whatever is you got to hit them next to each other. And and I know that sounds super simple, but with Harry, when we were looking at like these 40, 50, 60 yard pitch shots, if you just hit those independent of another, you might go, oh, well, I could pretty probably good. play either one That's of those. But the Pro V1, it would go hop, hop, and then it would want to check on that third one and go hop, hop, and then just kind of release. And the left dot definitely went hop, hop, skid, and stop. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been that obvious to me at all. And I'm guessing it wouldn't have been that obvious to Harry. It doesn't take that long. In 10, 15 minutes, we're able to say, okay, that ball will not do something for Harry that he wants it to do for his game. And whoop, that's a decision point. It's a, it's amazing, like, listening to you guys talking and the ball, especially you, Chris, talking about kind of left dash and, and left dot and, and kind of the contrast there. And so I've been I've been playing. I, I didn't go to this fitting event, but I've been playing left dot for the last few weeks, and I'll play it for the rest of the season just to kind of get a full gauge on it. And I just really feel like if, if I was going to design the perfect golf ball for me, man, something that is left dash off the driver and left dot from off the irons mm-hmm. and wedges to me is just like, yeah, just make me that ball. I, uh-huh. So you're not surprised to hear that a good number of people were fit into left dash and left dot, even though they're not necessarily mainstream to the market, they're fitting a good number of golfers. Yeah, I think it's not exclusively true of Titleist, but I think, you know, when you look at any mass market situation, golf companies inherently sort of get in this pattern of designing everything for the middle or in case of like uh, Pro V1 and Pro V1X, it's like we're gonna we're gonna design on on either side of the middle, but you know we're still we're still right happily in the middle. And when you when you start to get towards those tails, man, that's you know for a lot of golfers, that's where the magic happens. Or products that address kind of as we start to slope away from the middle of a bell curve. And I think you know left dash for sure in my experience is just remarkable for the right guy. And using left dot, I see a little bit of crossover there in some places. Like it's not wholly dissimilar, even though we're talking about Pro V1 versus Pro V1X. But yeah, I think those two kind of get out into a range that maybe is is often ignored. This was really not to do with Titleist. It was about how a ball fitting should go along and you should if you can't get to one of these ball fittings and you're not lucky enough to be a member at this club and have a ball fitting i mean tyler's have a great opportunity they've got in-person fittings the next option would be phone up tyler's for free and say hey here's my characteristics this that and the other and they can give a recommendation based on what you said or you can go online and do their ball fitting i know bridgestone have a ball fitting online Ping has one, but it's kind of halfway complete from what I saw last time. And that's it, basically. So I saw a comment on Instagram the other day when we were doing this ball fitting. It said, why don't you go to every ball manufacturer and and do this? 
Well, we can't because Tyler's are the only one that do an in-person Yeah, let us know which fitting. ones and where they're. Oh. And Harry, you do, you do make a good... I think Bridgestone has started they doing it again. Start doing it. Start doing it. But yeah, so. without those two, that's, a, that's it. Yeah, Harry, you make a good point that our objective was not necessarily to go and see which Titleist balls our testers are going to fit into. It's more to emphasize that no two balls are the same and it does make a difference on your game and getting fit for a ball is important. Do you think that our testers hit that point home when they were fitting into things that they weren't thinking that they were ever in the ballpark to play? Oh, for sure. I mean, some of these some of these players, one of them was playing a tour speed because he liked certain characteristics of it. He got fit into a, I think it was a Pro V1 X. X. I think it, it was, was the X. Yep. We, have a, we had a guy who played a Strixen soft feel because he liked... How much feel. he liked the soft feel, <laughs> he and he, and he says, I need, I need some spin and around. And it greens. is fun to say Shrixon, right? Shrixon, <laughs> like a little bit of everything. In so that he, ball. he, he was, he was like the biggest eye opener. Is this guy, uh, Charlie, he plays a, a Shrixon soft feel because he wants more spin around the greens and the softer feel off the irons, and then. So he did that, Tony. right? <laughs> so he did it. So we didn't say anything, right? And he got fit and he goes, at the end, he nearly made a hole in one with the Pro V1X. And he was like, I thought the Pro V1X is for people who swing at 120 miles an yeah. hour. I think yeah. he actually said, I think he actually 155 said 155, <laughs> 155 <laughs> yeah. which talk about outliers. I mean, talk about end of your bell curve guys, right? <laughs> but like, he was a primary example because I was like, that's where the misconception comes in is soft feel is one, it's slower than like a Pro V1X. But when you have a soft core with a, out, with a firm outer cover, the mantle is not interacting with the face as much. So therefore it's not going to get as much spin as you would with like a Pro V1X. Well, I mean, a two piece, there is or no mantle. Two, like right, you're just exactly. <laughs> chunky, yeah. thick, heavy cover. So he was just, he, his mind was blown. And during that time where he hit that, nearly had that hole in one, he hit two pretty similar shots with McCartan distance. And the Strixen pretty much just pitched and then released, where the Pro V1X pitched and then stopped just past the hole. And he did it three other times. And he just couldn't get it past his head that this was like... It was kind of adorable, actually. He was floored. I love this example because it... It it sounds outlandish, right? That a, that a guy would go from a soft golf ball. We, you know, it, it really doesn't even matter, right? We're just talking about kind of this this low compression, soft feel space, and then fit into a Pro V One X because the perception is like you again, because some marketing several years ago convinced people that if you don't have a fast swing speed, you can't play the, these firmer balls. And in the reality, I would venture to guess that for a lot of people listening and, and hearing this for the first time seems kind of odd to to make that kind of recommendation. But I would guess that it's a really common one within you know the ball fitting world because it is it's all golfers typically want to hit it higher and yeah a lot of these two piece balls they fly pretty high but the other thing you always say golfers what they always want right i want more spin around the green and well if you want it to spin around the green you you're going to need one of those typically kind of firm to really firm golf balls cuz that's that's what they're designed to do is is take that you know you got that really soft cover over the kind of really firm mantle layer and that is i mean that is the recipe for spin 
That is spin. And and the thing is, this guy too, he it's not like he was a you know, had never played golf before or whatever. Pretty good and golfer. Yeah, he was a good a golfer, handicap. single digit handicapper. You know, and, and and you think about a couple of the things that he said that were just objectively one hundred percent false. And that's not his fault at all. He's a smart guy, but he's sitting there convinced that he likes to play that ball because of what it does around the green. And he could not have been more wrong. I asked him that exact question is, how much check do you get with this ball? Because, well, I don't really get any check. But I play it for greenside spin. But I play, but I play it for greenside spin. Because and I that, perceive that it should do that and something's yeah. wrong with me. Yeah, if exactly. If I'm not getting it exactly. to, I'm, you know, I'm not good enough to, I can't do it like those guys do on TV. We could do like a fun technique video where, okay, here's how to get some more greenside spin and just give people like a brand new wedge and like a good tour level golf ball and say, oh, there you go. There's your website, <laughs> you know, technique. I asked the Titleist guy what percentage of people that you fit for a ball are not playing the right ball. And I said, with the understanding, the asterisk here is that, yes, you're only fitting people into Titleist ball. So if they're playing another brand, that's obviously <laughs> that's going to skew wrong. our numbers, right? But let's Why? let's say how many people are playing the the wrong ball with the wrong characteristics. So even if it, regardless of what manufacturer it's made by, have the wrong idea of what ball they should be playing. And he said somewhere in the neighborhood of 80%. Yeah. Did you ask what their their most commonly fit ball is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we talked a little bit about it on, on tour, but also in the consumer space. As you would imagine, Pro V1, Pro V1X dominate across. Like you said, they, they kind of basically split the middle mm-hmm. and yeah. you know capture kind of that 80%. On tour, it's kind of two to one or three to one um, left dot compared to left dash. So on any given week, you know, if there's, say, two to four left dash in play, then there's six, eight, 10, 12, maybe left dot in play. And then, you know, again, depending on the event, uh, you know, V1X and then V1 um, for sure. So, you know, something like, you know, something like that. What was your biggest takeaway, Harry? I would say just the, for me personally, in my own fitting, it was the missed hit on the driver and the spin around the greens because I know my game pretty well. So when it comes to, I was seeing this happen on the course and then seeing it correlate to data with a track man, it was a good validation for me. And I was just thinking, because I've been telling Chris and Tony for ages, I I can't spin a 15-yard <laughs> shot around the bloody <laughs> greens. I've been saying that for, forever. And the only one I could do it with was the Strixon uh, Z-Star XV at the time. But then when I had the left dot involved, I can, I it then just immediately was like, oh, it's not me generating that spin as much as it is the ball as well. And my characteristics of the way I deliver it to it. So that was like a, a nice confirmation that it's not all about me. It's not about me swinging and delivering it. It's about the ball as well. Because Tony and Chris said that he can spin it for days. And I was like, can I swap the 15 yard shot that you have? <laughs> Because uh, I want, I desperately want that, um, and I found it with the left dot. So, Chris, what was your biggest takeaway? I think my biggest takeaway, you know, a little bit for me, but really watching everybody else go through the process is that, like I said, like the one eighty on certain things, like that, a lot of people probably think are true, or maybe are convinced are true. Mm. Couldn't be less true. Like, get fit based on your driver. That's the worst thing you can possibly do. 
It should be the last thing you fit. And the great thing about drivers, they're adjustable. So you can tweak the driver to optimize performance around that, right? And the other one being that a lot of times better players are able to, they have more skill. And so they're able to work around a ball or any piece of equipment that isn't optimally fit to them better than a lower skilled player. You know, if anything, what it told me is the worse player you are, maybe the more important it is that you get fit. That should be the biggest takeaway for our readers is the importance of being fit. And as Harry alluded to earlier, obviously this type of fitting is not accessible to everyone. And we recognize that you could probably have to be a member of a certain type of club, reach out to your pro, get Titleist to come to you. We get that most of our readers aren't going to be able to do that. So we asked Titleist, what's next? You can arrange, they do, I think they said about 14 a day is their their capability. So around 5,000 a year Zoom calls. So they fit you over the phone, essentially. So that's like your better option. And as we work on the case studies and the write-up and the article that you're going to see come to the website as a result of this fitting, we're working on the good option. We're still trying to narrow down what Yeah, good, better, best, right? Yeah, Yeah. if you can't get fit in either of those ways or reach out to another manufacturer or even work with your pro or use a GC quad, whatever it may be, what are the options if a fitting isn't necessarily accessible to you? So uh, stay tuned, We're, we're coming up with that. But the biggest takeaway as of now is getting fit for a ball is important. I'm sorry, this cat's attacking me. And it's free. And it's free, yes, that's the biggest thing. It doesn't cost, it does not cost. No, if you can get, like I said, if you have a course and you have uh, somebody that is connected with one of the brand manufacturers, have them reach out, see what fitting options, you know, are available. And, um, you know, in this case, and, and I believe this is true across the board, there's no cost. I know with titles there isn't, I can't, mm. I, I don't imagine there would be with, with others, but. That was a lot of the feedback we got on our posts and things that we did while we were there was this seems pricey. Why are you even bothering telling us about this? It's free. Yeah. Yeah. If they'll come to your course and do that. And the online one is too, like you do the half hour zoom. And if you do that, it's the same guys and gals that are doing the on course fitting that are fitting mini tour players that are doing these tour level experiences when they're not doing that, they're, you know, they're on the phones, on the zoom calls. Um, So you're talking to the exact same people. Yep. All right. Like I said, stay tuned for that article and you'll get to meet all of the testers, see their characteristics, what they started playing with, what they ended up with and other takeaways from the ball fitting. And we're working on that good component of what do you do if you can't do what we did? We got you. (laughs) We're coming. We will let you know. All right, Tony, while we were at Independence Golf Club doing the ball fitting event, you were putting together an article about the TrackMan ball. Can you explain it to us? What, what What's a TrackMan ball? Why do we need it? So, yeah, the ball is the, tra- uh, I almost said TrackMan. It's actually a, TrackMan does not make a golf ball. So it is a Titleist Pro V1 or Pro V1X RCT. The RCT stands for Radar Capture Technology, and it's a ball specifically designed to improve the reliability of TrackMan in indoor environments or limited flight. Let me clarify. We have been <laughs> among ourselves calling this the TrackMan ball, correct? It is, yeah. Well, we, technically, we okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> technically, the reason why that it's, it's called the TrackMan ball is because in previous experiences, TrackMan is really shit at getting... <laughs> Spin rates, it's pretty shit inside. 
It's it's well, not yeah. it's not it's, it needs a certain amount of flight, so that's why you don't really see that many fittings inside with a trackman. And if you do, well, I wouldn't really trust it. Uh, All right, Tony. Now that we've established <laughs> what my abbreviated lingo is, tell us about this new offering that you're supposed to use it with a trackman, correct? Yes. So okay. it is designed in partnership with Trackman. And as Harry said, <laughs> perhaps less than eloquently, Trackman does have honestly has Trackman does have some issues indoors, specifically as it relates to accurately capturing the spin axis, which you know is basically the tilt of the golf ball, the airplane wings, how it curves, as well as the spin rate. So if you've ever been in a in a trackman environment specifically or or largely indoors and you've seen your spin number comes back in italics, that basically means that the trackman didn't really measure it and so it's making a reasonable guess how much that ball spun but it really isn't sure and so if you don't know what the spin number is it's it's really hard to accurately extrapolate the rest of what you need and so with this new pro v1 pro v1x rct uh, what they've done is taken kind of trackman's aluminum dot method of better capturing spin so you know historically ideally you stick a little aluminum dot sticker on the ball and it pointed What's the fancy the name for that, Harry? There's a fancy name, right? Fiducials. Well, yeah. But this would be like a aluminium fiducial. Oh boy, <laughs> So here we go. So yes, it's uh so that the aluminum dot allows it to to capture spin rate better, but it does require certain things to happen. So they've kind of with the RCT, they've they've put what they call a uh, radar reflective mark on the casing layer. So it's it's ink, right? It's fancy you know, ink. They, fancy ink. It's it's fancy kind of you know signal capturing ink that goes on the mantle layer. Of the golf ball cover goes on top, so it, it looks exactly like a normal Pro V one with the cover on, uh, with the exception of the RCT logo. As far as the USGA is concerned, it's the same ball, so you know we don't anticipate any performance differences between that and and the other ball because again you're just talking about a little bit of radar reflective marking under the uh the cover and the idea here is that it allows trackman to better capture spin rates and for trackman's part in this they did some programming on their algorithms updated their firmware etc to so now it can more accurately capture spin indoors and titleist and trackman say you know we're going to get spin rates accurately 99 percent of the time uh, so that's a significant improvement over no dot, significant improvement over the aluminum dot. And now you have, you know, something that, you know, Trackman says is the, the most reliable indoors, but certainly it is a step forward and, and helps level the, the footing of, of various, you know, uh, the launch monitor technologies in the indoor environments. So this doesn't sound like something that people are going to go out and buy per no. se. It's more like you're going to have at your pro shop if you're doing indoor lessons, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So and again, there's sixty five bucks a dozen. So even Ooh. even a little pricier still than the Pro V one. And again, it it's for it's that dot. indoor indoor fitting <laughs> environments, indoor lesson environments. If you're a Titleist, right? Effectively, you have an indoor R and D uh, environment. And so you just trying to get more out of the environments you already have. Have we tested them yet? So, I mean, I, I hesitate to call it a test, right, anecdotally. So, um, as it just happened, my coach is a Titleist staffer, and he just happened to be down in Fairhaven. He was doing his, you know, semi-annual visit with those guys while I was talking to them about the ball. And I said, hey, you know, send Anders home with some balls. Make it real <laughs> easy for me. And so, I happened to have a lesson that same week. So, I went on a Friday, did my lesson uh, with the new balls. 
definitely 100% of the time I saw a spin number that was not italicized. So, and that's different. Now, you know, what I, I what I touched on in the article, and I want to be clear, like feelings aren't facts, right? Like I can, I can think something happened, but without data to validate it, I can't say for sure. In my opinion at this point, and I'll go over there with a, a GC quad and, and kind of try it again and see what we see. I think, you know, traditionally where we've seen the issues with, with any radar device indoors, kind of the, the ones that are sort of off the middle of the face where you get the, the big right. kind of sweeping toe draw, for example. Right. You get that low spin sweeper. I hit a couple of those where I'm fairly confident that, you know, the accurate measurement would have been a negative spin axis tilt and a spin number, you know, somewhere between 17 and 2100. Like I felt like that was a really low spin kind of push hook off the toe. And what I got back was a big, big push fade with 5,500 RPM a spin. So my opinion, unsubstantiated by data at this point, is there are still some issues with the spin axis portion of it. But um, so I'm going to look more closely at that. But in terms of that kind of the stuff, you know, reasonably good contact down the middle of the range, so to speak, spin numbers look really good, really reliable. So is it is it perfect? But I don't know. With what you thought going left, did it actually project that you went right on the actual oh, yeah, no, monitor? Yeah. So you, it could oh, have yeah. been a crossover. Yeah. There is potential that I'm just simply wrong, right? And I feel like, hey, you know, I would much rather be happy with a, a big kind of push hook that ends up more or less in the middle than a big sweeping yeah. gross fade. But, right. you know, I, I've hit enough of them in my life to kind of know <laughs> what they feel like. Um, so I'm, I'm reasonably confident. But again, feelings aren't facts. And so we'll, uh, we're going to go take a we closer look at that. We should get that put on a t-shirt. Feelings aren't facts. Yeah. And anytime someone complains yes. on our social channels or the comments, we yes. send them a prize. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, I mean, it's intriguing and, and, you know, I'm going to jump the gun and answer the question that we have gotten over and over and over again. Yes, this very well likely, it is likely that the Titleist Pro V1 RCT ball will improve the reliability of other radar based devices in these, ah. in these same indoor environments. So if you've got a Rapsodo and you're hitting it into a net, if you've got a Mevo and you're hitting it to a screen, whatever that happens to be, right? The likelihood is that you will see better, more reliable, more accurate, whatever phrase you want to use, spin measurements with those devices. Keep in mind though, there is a software component to this. TrackMan, you know, right. Titleist had to work with TrackMan to develop the ball and then TrackMan had to go into its, its software and tune some things to work with the radar reflective mark instead of the dot. So TrackMan's feeling is that, yeah, we've probably done some work that's gonna help our competitors out, but without the deeper understanding of how this actually works and without the, the programming necessary at the launch monitor level, they're not gonna to get to that 99%. It's, you know, it'll be better than what it is, but not TrackMan level. All right, very cool stuff. That's good news because you've said personal launch monitors aren't there. So if we can make them just a little bit better, that's helpful, right? I think so. And I'm sure like as soon as these balls hit the market, I would assume that a lot of our readers who own these devices are going to go check it out and yeah. kind of come back to us and say, yeah, it's it's better. It's worse or the same. Right. Those are those are the three options as always. So. All right. Uh, what time is it, Tony? Mailbag. OK. Jesus. I want to get that on a T-shirt. <laughs> this one's fun this week. This one gives you guys an opportunity to uh, step into Adam's shoes. 
CJ Stropel asks, if someone gave you, and he means collectively my golf spy, I think, $1 million of funding right now, what could or would you do differently? What sort of tests, etc.? All right, Tony. Well, is CJ going to give us a million dollars? He's just messing with us. It's all well, theoretical. I mean, maybe. Or is it, like, if we, CJ, if, we, if, if you're likes, serious, you let us know, okay? If he likes the answer. Um, there's there's a few things like I would spend on on equipment. So I would I would love to own a robot so that we could do ball testing uh-huh. more regularly. We could do smaller batches. We could do that's a good answer. And again, I, I I think we would actually use it very little for for club testing, but I would love to have it for ball testing. You know, might like a ball cannon, <laughs> and continuing the theme. And this is actually. You know, I don't know that this is going to go anywhere, but somebody reached out and kind of said, hey, you guys might want to look at this and I might be able to help you. And so we're going to see where it goes. But essentially, we're talking about looking at what I guess amounts to 3D x-ray metrology. So the idea that we can take 3D scans of, of club heads or golf balls and be able to provide really precise measurements. So you want to talk about taking it to the next level where we're talking about being able to quantify precise core lack of centeredness, if you will, or the difference between layers or the guy that kind of pitched this to us sent over an image of a, uh, of a driver that they had scanned and you kind of see the internal dimensions and where the big glob of hot melt is in the middle. And it's just like, all right, this is cool. Yeah. I don't know what this costs, but I want one kind of thing. So, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think that's cool. my big picture, I would I would invest in toys and, and probably hire some people to, to operate those toys and help us do some other things that allow us to do more of, of what we do every day. I think the robot's a great answer. Harry, you're Adam. Someone invested a million dollars to improve whatever it is you think needs to be improved in my golf spot. What are you doing? Uh, I would get a bigger facility to get testing done quicker. Okay. Um, so therefore, the consumers are more educated sooner in the year than later on. I would also invest heavily in the wedge test. I would do a lot longer uh, <laughs> wedge test. I would do it in multiple different locations around the country with grasses, types of shots. Well, he's going nuts. All right. Yeah, <laughs> man. This is getting real. We got Bermuda. We got Bentgrass. We got... It would be like a four-month test, in my opinion. It would be a, oh, a, wow. a big, a big, instant, extensive test. <laughs> um, it would be longer. And then I would go into the soft goods, and I would get a a golf bag durability tester, where it just you know does whatever. So one of those things that'll like jiggle it like that for yeah. Like so a day picture, or so picture yourself when. You're on this thing. Like one of those paint, to... when you go into Lowe's and you put the paint in there and it shakes it, something similar. So you paint a bag. Yeah, no, I was thinking of like shaker. when you had, if if you want to lose some weight, you were standing on this thing and it would shake off the Yeah, fat. exactly. Yeah. Those don't work, by the way. So something like that. And I would do it with a, I'd do the same thing with a, with a shoe test for durability. I would do lots of You only of have a million stuff. here. I'm pretty sure a million can get you a long way. Okay, I'm just saying. But I would I would do all of that and then hire some more people to do some other testing outside of this facility right here. Good answers so far. I like those. I like those. Chris, you're Adam. It's always the hard part of going last because people take Chris this, would be like, yeah. I would buy a bigger freezer for <laughs> yeah. ice cream. <laughs> First thing we're doing, my golf spy cafeteria on site Ooh. at the testing facility. Um, no, beyond those would be fun. I love the robot idea. Uh, yeah. Like I said, having it in space, being able to do some of those things. 
Um, I think you could go a couple different directions. I would love to set up like a mall, my golf spy university, like a learning center, learning facility where you could either bring people in. So think about getting people from the industry to come out and do, you know, do educational seminars. You could do some, you know, virtually, you could have some stuff on site, but imagine if you're going to have people and teach them about wedge grinds and show them the wedge test and you have these different types of grass where you can show, hey, this is what we mean by into the grain or down grain or whatever the case is. And people could come for like a week-long learning seminar about these different topics. And it's like my golf spy university. I like that. Those were great answers. And the cafeteria. And And it has a soft serve (laughs) ice cream machine and a slushy machine. What brand of soft serve? Because sometimes soft serve's not good. Uh, what's that one? What times are those? Yeah. I, yeah. Like what, the kinds that you get at like Golden Corral and stuff, you know? Oh, that, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, we're not. Yeah. You know what not. I mean? Whatever Martha's uses up by Tony's house. I want that. Martha's dandy cream is, yeah, that's, that's where it, it has Martha's dandy cream in there. Okay. Hey, and if this guy really has a million, what's his name? I forgot his CJ name. CJ Stropel, I believe. CJ? Let's see. CJ I got a little Stropel. something for you if you actually got a million <laughs> bucks. I'm going to sell you a million dollars. If you got a million bucks, I have a Surf Jaws Lovely Golf Beach themed Japanese head cover for you, CJ. Surf Jaws. We'll just, CJ, you know, if you're watching, we'll call, send us your yeah. info in the comments and Chris will send you some mail. Even without a million dollars, I guess we're going to do that. You know, Greasing the wheels, if you will. Yeah, good question. All right. That's all I got for today, guys. We out.